0: grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get
1: started. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me coming to you from my house in Brooklyn. I hope you're well, I hope you're safe. This is a super special slash timely edition of the show because there's stuff in the news we wanted to talk about, and I wanna talk about it with Laura McGann, the politics editor of Vox.com. Welcome, Laura.
0: Hey, Peter, good to be here.
1: Thanks for coming on. What was the name of the story you published on Friday with a headline, it was a great headline.
0: I wrote a piece called The Agonizing Story of Tara Reid."
1: So that is the subject of our discussion here. It's about both the, the story Laura wrote uh, and then the, the sort of Tara Reed story and then also in particular the Tara Reed's interactions with the media and the fact that sort of her first major interview about her newest accusations against Joe Biden came out not on TV, not on traditional TV, not on cable TV, but on YouTube. So I want to talk all about that with Laura. What's the best way to get into this, Laura? Should we explain? I think a lot of our, because we have smart listeners. I think a lot of folks know who Terry is, but let's let's just briefly explain who she is and why we're talking about her.
0: Sure. So Tara Reid is a former Joe Biden staffer. She worked for Biden in the Senate in 1992 and 1993. She came forward a year ago with uh, an accusation of sexual harassment from her time in his office. And now she has reemerged a year later and she has accused Joe Biden of sexual assault.
1: And your story Again, the agonizing story of Tara Reid, I'll get her name correct by the end of this show, is both about Tara Reid, her accusations, and about your interactions with her. Um, This is someone you were talking to last year when she was making claims about harassment. You ended up not publishing that story.
0: Right. So a year ago, I spoke with her for quite a while. She, She came to me with what I... Felt was a pretty credible, straightforward, consistent story about how when she worked in Biden's office, um, she was made uncomfortable when Biden would put his hands on her shoulder in a meeting or touch her hair or touch her neck. She also got a request once to serve drinks at a fundraiser for Biden, and she felt that was inappropriate. And she said that once she voiced her discomfort with the situation that the staff uh, in the office became icy and retaliated against her, stripping her of her responsibilities, and ultimately she was pushed out of her job. And at the time, you know, she told me the story, and I was able to confirm that she did work for Joe Biden at the time. She had the responsibilities she said she had. So it was, you know, started out— Um, pretty credible. I talked to a friend of hers at the time um, who corroborated her account. Um, And when you
1: say she corroborated her account, that meant...
0: She So a friend of hers who was her roommate in 1992 uh, and stayed close with her through 93, and they've stayed friends all these years, uh, told me that at the time when they were both working on Capitol Hill as young women kind of early in their careers, they talked about this a lot. And she talked about um, her discomfort with Biden in meetings and how she had complained to the staff about it in the office. So that specifically is what she corroborated.
1: Right, I'm just, I'm pulling that out because yeah. this is an ongoing yeah. thing. And, and I think in this story in particular, in a lot of stories about sexual harassment and accusations of, of sexual assault is did the person who's making that claim tell someone else sort of contemporaneously? doesn't prove exactly. it, but did, did they say that to someone in, at the same time? And that's meaningful.
0: Right, it is. And so she she gave me two names. Her mother, who unfortunately was or is, but even a year ago, was deceased. So I couldn't speak to her mother, and she gave me the name of this friend. So the only named person I had to call to start with was a friend. Um, I worked with her for several weeks, ultimately, on trying to identify staffers who she knew at the time in other Capitol Hill offices, people who worked in the Biden office, and she couldn't remember anyone's name, which I understood. It was 1993, it's been a long time. And I was never able to get any type of additional corroboration from anybody else on Capitol Hill who she knew at the time. She also said she filed some type of a complaint specifically about the harassment. And um, we worked hard to get that document and I was never able to get a copy of it.
1: And the reason I'm having you go sort of in, a, a describe at length the story that you've already written, I, I want to explain, I want people to understand some of how much work you put into the story initially that you took a tar read seriously yet you still didn't publish the story this is we're in the Me Too era we're in the Believe Women era um, we've had many 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 stories about powerful men brought to account because a single woman stepped forward and said this happened to me so what's the difference between the Tara Reid story especially in 2019 versus the countless stories we've read not countless but dozens and dozens of stories we've read sort of since 2016
0: 2017 right so I can speak to kind of two points. So I want to be clear that in 2019, I didn't publish her story, not because I didn't believe her or that I debunked her story. It was an experience that I've personally had before, um, unfortunately, where a woman has come to me with um, a a credible sounding story, but I wasn't able to really pin it down um, and publish. And it's really hard. Um, I'm somebody who is pretty vocal about Me Too. I wrote a column at the time about Joe Biden a year ago saying, I think it's a good thing that women are saying, hey, you know, Joe Biden for a long time has gotten a pass and how he treats women in public. And I thought that was a positive development. So I was inclined to want to break this story. Um, i I've, I wanted to believe Tara Reed. Uh, I had a lot of reason to believe her, but I couldn't I couldn't get anything further, really, from what she was saying and one friend. I needed somebody on the other side of the story, maybe in in the office or somebody who worked at Capitol Hill who could who could take the story from something she was telling me she experienced and one friend said she experienced to, establishing that there really was something going on in the office, and that was uh, why she was pushed out. And I did it by trying to find a document. We, uh, I actually worked with her on going to several different offices that would not give me a document because their personnel files, uh, the Secretary of the Senate. We went to another office called OPM. They couldn't track it down. I then had a friendly source who off the record went into the physical files in a physical uh, warehouse on the other side of the country uh, to try to find the physical file. He was not able to find the physical file. So it really was a chase to try to track it down and and we couldn't track it down. And it doesn't mean that she didn't file it. It just means we couldn't find it. And that's different than, the thing is that what makes that story different than others that I've published and that others have published is that you really need more. Um, and maybe that's not fair to somebody coming forward to make an accusation. But if you're going to accuse a powerful person of wrongdoing. You really needed to be buttoned up. And I just didn't have it buttoned up. Um, so that's, that's why I chose not to publish at the time.
1: Again, I, we have a pretty media savvy audience for this show, but I think just pushing a little bit more into sort of the difference between what Tara Reed said and why you didn't publish what she said versus other women who said, hey, Joe Biden touched me. I found it creepy. I found it unsettling. We Their names and accusations had been out for a while. Is it the gap between saying Joe Biden touched me? I didn't like it. And then I was retaliated against? Is that the difference and that that's sort of your reticence to publish that claim? Or is it something that I'm, I just want to make sure it's fully teased out?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a good question to suss it out. And this is something that uh, I struggled with at the time, which is I felt that her statement that she was made uncomfortable in the office and that she told a friend at the time that she felt uncomfortable in the office, that to me made me think, she was uncomfortable in the office and that he, you know, it it also fit the description of other types of conduct we've seen from Joe Biden of putting his hands on someone's shoulder, or being friendly um, in a way that made has made people feel uncomfortable. We had seven women at the time who had already come forward and said, you know what? He did this in public. I found it to be um, inappropriate. It made me uncomfortable. So that piece of it was substantiated, the problem is when you're going to say someone illegally fired you from a job and I just didn't have anything to substantiate that piece of the story. I didn't have a document that showed she had, compl- for example, if I had had a copy of a document that showed she had complained and then shortly thereafter she was terminated, I think that that takes the story into a new direction. I don't want to. I don't want to say I definitely would have published, or I wouldn't. have, You know, I, I don't know, but I would have at least had that document to take to Biden's office and say, "Hey, please respond to this." I think it might have helped. You know, it, it just is a fact that I didn't have. I had no evidence to support the wrongful firing, which is a serious accusation, and it's if you look at say. Uh, there was early reporting kind of on Fox News and women being fired or being pushed out. And, you know, there was incredible reporting in the Wall Street Journal and other places that showed that women had taken buyouts and left quietly. And that creates a paper trail of, okay, they complained and then they were told to leave. um, Versus, say— Someone accusing a specific man of a, of a crime or of, of assaulting them that you, you can corroborate that maybe by over the years of telling people of seeking a, help from a therapist that, that these are sort of different facts that I was trying to substantiate. So it was how she felt at the time and what she told people at the time. And then also trying to source the wrongful firing.
1: I want to come back to the journalism involved here in a little bit, but I would just want to uh, sort of make sure people know where, where we stand. So you document the reporting you did here. You ended up not publishing. Again, you should read the piece that you wrote. It's really good. Uh, and you also say, look, it's as, I, as I've realized, the Times was doing similar reporting, the Post and yeah. the Outlets were doing similar reporting. They all sort of reached the same conclusion, which is they didn't publish a, a piece. And then so how, how did Tara Reid's name and her accusations resurface again this spring?
0: Exactly. So there were at least a couple of their outlets chasing this story, um, and just to note that a local paper did ultimately run the story, and they ran it—her local paper, her local paper, a lo- her local paper uh, in California—and they ran it with just her claims and the friend, and and really the story went nowhere.
1: She wrote a first person piece, and then she also—they also wrote a piece based on her.
0: She wrote a first person piece that they ran, and they posted the story quoting her and her friend and that they had a decline, you know, couldn't reach Biden campaign for comment. And the story really just went nowhere. It just didn't, it didn't land. And I think that speaks to my point that these things have to be really buttoned up and really strong to break through and for people to find them compelling. And I wasn't able to do it. Uh, And I know the Associated Press, the Post and the Times were also working on stories and they didn't publish in 2019 either. So fast forward a year, and in March, uh, I see an alert on my phone that Tara Reid has come forward, and this time she is not only saying that she was sexually harassed in the office uh, and pushed out for complaining, but in addition that uh, Joe Biden had sexually assaulted her on the grounds of the Capitol. And just to clarify that distinction, she had previously said He touched her shoulders in meetings, uh, touched her hair. This time she said that one day she had gone to meet him to bring him a bag that she'd been asked to bring him. They were in a hallway in the Capitol and he pushed her against a wall. He kissed her against her will and then uh, digitally penetrated her against her will. And so she's saying that this incident happened around the same time as all these other factors were going on. And it's in addition to her original story last year.
1: And again, you know, we're not going to go through every every line of, of her story because there's a lot we have to get to, but she's not just adding on to her story, right? She's actually sort of contradicting uh, earlier lines. She said something effective. By the way, I was not sexually assaulted. I was harassed, but this wasn't an assault. Language to that effect, right? In the earlier conversations.
0: Yeah. So this is where it gets tricky for me. And the reason I agonized over writing this story is that a year ago, she said to me when we first spoke, "She's uh, some of the first sentences out of her her mouth when we talked on the phone for the first time were, I want to tell you a story about power. I want to tell you a story about um, a Senate office that, uh, you know, retaliates and abuses its power. And I, she said to me, I specifically am not telling you a story about sexual misconduct. After we spoke, we spoke for a while. And after we spoke, she sent me an essay that she had written. And in the essay, kind of the nut graph or the the, the main theme that she sets up in the essay is that this is not a story of sexual misconduct. It's a story about an office retaliating against somebody for complaining. And she even said, you know, I don't know if Joe Biden knew my name. I don't know if he ever knew why I I left the office. I don't know if he even noticed. And at the same time, the same day, she directed me to her friend and I called up the friend. And her friend said to me something very similar. She said, look, let me just describe what was going on. And she specifically told me Joe Biden never tried to kiss her. He never tried any, she kind of described it as he never tried any of those. You know, she kind of said it in a a knowing way of, he never tried one of those touches. You know, he never tried Mm -hmm. anything with her. And she said what was creepy to her was, she specifically said it this way. We were kind of chatting about Joe Biden generally. And she said, what I found particularly creepy was this was always in front of people which also was what was being discussed at the time about Joe Biden. So, I was given a really clear picture of what I what happened and what did not happen and and both of these key sources said it was about harassment but it was not sexual misconduct and that they volunteered that information without me asking, that they right. that this is how they put it. So, I was particularly then surprised this year to hear the assault accusation because it's like you said not in the way that she and I talked about it it's not just additive but it changes It's it's a true change from the story she told me last
1: year and let's talk about where those charges first sort of aired because it's in, it's in this and this is where sort of we get into the media of this
0: yeah yeah and this is this is where i think it becomes an interesting media story because Last year, Tara Reed approached you. Know, her local paper. She approached some big national outlets. She approached me. Um, I think someone set her up with me because of my reputation around covering Me Too issues. And this time, she aired her um, complaint on a podcast called The Katie Helper Show. Katie Helper is, this is not a knock on her, but I, I just would describe the podcast as more of hosted by, she's a radio personality. You know, she's a personality. She hosts a politics show. She is very pro-Bernie Sanders. She's very uh, leftist. She kind of represents that school of thought. And it's not like NPR. This is not a journalistic show. So Katie has her on, and they do a lengthy interview. And it's in that interview where uh, Tara Reid describes the assault for the first time.
1: That podcast then triggers, as we're used to seeing for quite some time, something at sort of the edge of the media universe. It used to be uh, like tabloids, and, and now for a couple decades, it's been the internet. Something bubbles up in some part of the internet, and it doesn't mean the New York Times is going to write about it necessarily, or Vox.com is going to write about it necessarily, but you guys will certainly go, oh, we should look at this again. So that happens, and then the alleg- there's a new round of reporting about the allegations including the new allegations.
0: Yeah, exactly. It 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 you know what we talk about a lot is something is in the conversation. And so then you're kind of like, well, it's out there. We have to, you know, either explain it or check the reporting. And that's what happened in this case is that the New York Times revisited it, the Washington Post um revisited these, you know, this case. And at the same time, actually, one other interesting person is uh, a reporter, a business insider was chasing this story too. And he was, he was publishing what was interesting is these sort of incremental updates to the story, which is a new way of reading a Me Too account. Usually reporters disappear, report the hell out of the story, and then come back with a story that goes boom. This, in this case, if she made her allegation, and then we kind of got this trickling out of sources.
1: Right. And if you're not paying attention and you're just sort of skimming headlines, you might say, oh, there's new important information in the Business Insider about Tara Reid's story. Uh, You know, Business Insider is now a, a mainstream publication. That must be meaningful. And what, this uh, we'll talk about the journalist in a second but the, the for instance just so you understand the the stories he were publishing were along the lines of now a former neighbor or friend of Tara Reed also says that Tara Reed said the specific thing about the sexual assault x number of years ago or maybe then there's there's nuances but none of it is sort of definitive like you say it's like a you're adding up a total amount of weight but it's it's hard to figure out what it amounts to
0: right and i think there is a difference between a story being reported. And one thing I think is important when you're reporting out a story is to be able to call a source and ask them what they know without telling them what you know and just asking them. Because I think that that's very different than a source having read a story that's already in the media coming forward and corroborating it. Because not to say that that person is lying. It's That's not the case at all. It's just that it's, it's not the same as calling somebody who maybe had no idea that you're reporting the story, hasn't been asked about it in 20 years, and comes out with details that support the story. It's just, it's just different. Um, it's a different level of credibility,
1: The journalist involved here is a guy named Rich McHugh. His name's important because, one, um, he's done a lot of TV journalism over the years, had worked at Fox and pretty much everywhere but CBS. He, in particular, had worked at NBC for a long stretch with Ronan Farrow when Ronan Farrow was doing his initial reporting on Harvey Weinstein. Um, NBC famously never ran that stuff, that story, then eventually becomes a Pulitzer Prize-winning account in The New Yorker. And then Rich McHugh's name comes up again because eventually, here, I'm going to skip ahead, but eventually... Tara Reid, after saying, I want to talk about this on TV with a major network, the major networks won't listen to me. Eventually Fox agrees to do an interview with her. She then cancels that interview and she ends up doing an interview where she's on camera with Meghan Kelly and that interview is sort of produced by Rich McHugh. Um, not that it's conspiratorial, I just want to explain the the, the connections there. So. This interview with Megyn Kelly, again, famously on Fox, then on NBC for a short run, sits down and does a long extended, it's like 45 minute plus interview with Tara Reed. It runs on YouTube. What do you make of the fact that one, Tara Reed ended up doing it with Megyn Kelly, and two, she ended up doing it not on TV, but on the internet?
0: Right. I think that like we saw you know, Tara Reed felt, and has been vocal about this, she felt very burned by major newspapers last year. You know, No one printed her story.
1: And she'd spent a lot so, of time talking to them.
0: Oh, Oh, she spent a lot of time talking to people. She felt, the frustrating part is she has now been out saying that the media, she accused the Washington Post of never getting back to her, which actually turned out not to be the case, which she admitted to me that the Post did call her and she did interviews. And she said other things like, the media didn't want her to tell them it was a sexual story that 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 it was the media who told her this is not sexual misconduct or that they didn't want it which is just not true i mean there's there's no indication that reporters are not interested in stories of mis- sexual misconduct and she and she herself had put it forward as not sexual misconduct
1: yeah and in fa- and and just to be crude about it right the bigger the story the more interested a reporter is in getting it both because they think it's important and also it's just professionally, right? You want a bigger story. It's a better story for you if there's more misconduct involved. And you kind of have to check yourself to say, am I overinflating this because I want it to be something that it isn't. So anyone anyone responsible has dealing with this. They also have editors and publishers and a whole phalanx of people to say, are you sure this is what it's right? They really want to, there's an impulse to blow the story up and then usually there's a whole set of checks and balances to sort of go, no, 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 this is literally all we can say it is.
0: Right. And so she is now speaking with outlets. And as part of her storyline, it's the media blew me off a year ago. And it ten- and, and she was telling this to outlets who are kind of adversarial to mainstream media, you know, sort of Bernie-supporting outlets, Bernie Sanders-supporting outlets or left-leaning outlets who are critical of Joe Biden, who are saying, look, the media ignored this person. And, and it sort of feeds the narrative. In terms of ending up on Megyn Kelly, I think... What is interesting there is she again made the choice to go around kind of mainstream outlets. I was under the impression, I'm trying to think of how to source this, that I'm under the impression, <laughs> my broad impression is that if she had wanted to do a more mainstream television interview, she could have uh, with some parameters and that she did not want to
1: do that. I've watched the, the Megyn Kelly interview. It looks like a a TV interview. Megyn Kelly is certainly camera ready. Um, It doesn't look like it's something produced in a pandemic, like a lot of video we're used to seeing these days. What do you think the difference between that Megyn Kelly interview and a more conventional interview on Fox or MSNBC would be?
0: Um, So I watched the interview and I, I think, even before I watched it, I went and I looked at Megan Kelly's Twitter feed. And it's very uh politicized, her Twitter feed. It's very sort of in Tara Reed's corner before even the interview aired. So there was that. Um I also Which,
1: think Which by the way, it's, that's just sort of like how you present yourself publicly. You might you might as a reporter believe Tara Reid just wouldn't generally a, a conventional mainstream reporter wouldn't be tweeting. Yes. That stuff in advance.
0: You wouldn't look like you were running a campaign for her. And I I was also surprised by McHugh's Twitter feed as well. He's, like you're saying, a reputable longtime journalist, but he also kind of had this pro or uh, sort of advocacy, advocating for the story in a way that I think reporters don't generally. Again, not making it untrue, just different than usual. Anyway, so I watched the interview and what I found to be... Bothersome to me is that there were a number of times where she said things where I thought that's just not true. I mean,
1: well, ta- well Tara Reid yeah. said that or, or Megan oh, Kelly? Oh,
0: that's Tara Reid. Yeah. Megan Kelly yeah. asked Tara Reid some questions that, you know, were verifiable. You know, Tara Reid said, I've been hacked. You know, my life has been so hard, uh, doing, coming forward that I've been hacked. And there's no evidence that she's been hacked at all, that her email has been hacked or that her Twitter feed has been hacked.
1: So let's say you're conducting that interview on TV. I, I don't know if you've done any TV. And someone says that. Do you, in, in general, And you know how interviews go. You, you, someone says something, you might let them say it, and you might come back to them afterwards and, and say, tell me more. You might try to fact check it after the case. How do you handle when someone says something like that in conversation, your decision whether or not to air that or quote that?
0: I mean, certainly you would fact check it and you would not, you would clip it from the, I mean, I think either you could go back to her and ask and maybe she did just misspeak. Maybe she meant hacked and she really meant harassed. You know, it it could be a simple like slip of Mm the, she's a normal person. It's just a small example of something of very checkable. And they aired it anyway. Um, I don't have a transcript of the Megyn Kelly interview in front of me, but there were there was also she also kind of had a she made some comments about how she was never given a platform and the way that other people have been given platforms and it it just didn't uh, Megyn Kelly did not push back on how much access she had to reporters or to the media and kind of let her. Say a version of um, her experience with the media that that she didn't push back. You know, which again was no doesn't real, negate
1: her claim of being harassed or attacked. Right? I mean, oh, I'll, exactly. She could, I mean, look, you can she get could, one part wrong and the other yeah. part right.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that's the tricky part. Is she's obviously very mad at the media, but when you're talking to her and she says things that just aren't true about the media, then it it it's like well. How do I weigh that against other things that you've said? And that, that was interesting to me. And I think that obviously I'm a print journalist, so it's easier for me to go back to a source or to check things. But I thought the Megyn Kelly interview could have used some more facts and fact checking and maybe more pushback. It just, it, it, it didn't strike me as. Uh, As, you know, if, say, I don't know, if Jake Tapper were interviewing Reed, I think he would have been much more um, aggressive in raising um, some of her uh, changes to her story or uh, her sources changing their stories. She wasn't really asked about that. And it just felt a little bit like... Megyn Kelly, you know, I think did a pretty soft interview with her, which can happen on TV as well. But I think that in this case, Tara Reid picked somebody who she was pretty comfortable wouldn't do a super tough interview on her.
1: So, and this is where we get sort of more into my the wheelhouse, I'm more comfortable in. One of the things I found most surprising about the Megyn Kelly interview is at least so far that the video has been out for a couple days, based on the conversation and sort of the growing momentum about the story and and, uh, the the accusations about the presumptive Democratic nominee, and and sort of you would think this story would be really, really building and building, and now that the interview is coming out and it should be a blockbuster interview. And on YouTube, as of yesterday, it was under 300,000 views. It was not, it had, doesn't seem to have gone viral. And what I can't tell is if that means that, well, look, everything she said there had sort of been out. If you were interested in this story to begin with, you would know this. It's a 45 minute long thing. It's it's sort of hard to figure out. There's no sort of intense, well, there's a lot of stuff that's, that said there's intense. It's hard to sort of figure out what part would go viral. Maybe it's just simply that as big a deal as YouTube is, this still just doesn't have enough there to cross over into mainstream. I like got a darker view could be, ah, oh, well this is the media doesn't want to touch this story, so of course they're not gonna give Megan Kelly any help here. But it it does not seem to have landed in the way that I think Megan Kelly and Tara Reid might have imagined it was going to land.
0: I agree with that. I was surprised too. I hadn't looked at the YouTube numbers today, but I, I was quite surprised over the weekend when I saw the numbers.
1: Um, I'm looking at it now. It's climbed up to yeah. 400,000. So it's it's a little maybe it was a yeah. weekend thing. There she is. And uh, now 500,000. All right, it's going okay. as we're talking. All
0: right, okay. But it's not. If Tar Reid had appeared on a Fox News show, the reach of a, of a Fox News interview is just millions of people. That's millions of people. It's it's different. I am not entirely sure why that's the case. I think the headline that came out of the out of the interview was Tara Reed saying she wishes Joe Biden would step down uh from the race, and I think that that was probably the newsiest thing that came out of it, and I just don't know if that at this point you know maybe just wasn't wasn't shocking to people or wasn't it wasn't uh as compelling. I do think that it does suggest that there's still something about the power of TV to make something important and their ability to drum it up and and get you to to tune in and watch um that kind of matters. Also I I don't know if this is too technical for the show but I was surprised I literally couldn't find the Megan Kelly interview. I was getting frustrated. I was slacking people like how mm-hmm. do I find like I went I kept going to Megan Kelly's Twitter feed and there were there was like these two clips that were really short I couldn't find any information on how to watch it, and then it said it was going to be on her Instagram, but I couldn't find it there. I mean, if there is anybody who wants to watch this Tara Reid interview, like I just ran a four thousand word <laughs> piece on tracking Tara Reid's story over the course of the year, and I couldn't find the interview. Is is sort of?
1: I, I imagine bad. it'll it'll gain some <laughs> SEO over time. And again, I mean, depending on whether yeah. President Trump wants to amplify this, uh, yes. that's a whole other story. I want to end by talking about journalism. But first, what is happening now, do you imagine? I'm imagining all the newsrooms that were working on this are now working on it again, and they have been working on it. Does the fact that this story was published on the internet, does it change sort of the trajectory of reporting or sort of what becomes of the story?
0: I think in terms of, I just would step back even and say, I think this was the first Me Too story to dominate kind of the news for any period of time that didn't come out in a more traditional way. That this was this was Tara Reid pushing things on her own Twitter feed, going on a fairly partisan or at least ideological podcast, not in journalism. And it's very clear that she has a political point of view, and that the people amplifying her also have a political point of view, either being pro-Trump or yep. pro-Bernie Sanders. And it it's, to me, the question of, is this an outlier or is this the beginning of the weaponization of Me Too.
1: This is sort of where where we had a Slack conversation last week, uh, and that's that's sort of where we ended up. We said, we should talk about this on a podcast instead. So I I think this is the right place to have this conversation. I mean, as we mentioned, you know, we've had stuff bubble up from the corners of media and the internet in the past. Uh, The Monica Lewinsky story, uh, Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton story is certainly a prime example of that. And I wanted to keep us focused, but uh, we should mention, um, Christine Blasey Ford's name comes up a lot in discussion about this and why this is or isn't different than that. Is there a way to do the, the capsule version of that conversation?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely Tar Reid supporters think that Democrats have uh, held her to a different standard as Christine Blasey Ford, who testified against Brett Kavanaugh.
1: And again, said, these things happened to me in the past. Yes. I believe it's that they single... happened. I don't have it. It's not completely documented. You can find discrepancies in my account. And they say, well, this is the same thing.
0: I think so. I mean, I, I get that the argument there is one woman who has stepped forward. She doesn't have a ton of evidence. She doesn't have a pile of paperwork to support it or something like that. And I think the difference was, uh, one, I think first and foremost, Christine Blasey Ford never changed her story. She named the sources that she had who could corroborate it. She talked about you know, her husband and this and that, and it, it just never changed and that's one I think key distinction here uh, between Tara Reed and Christine Blase Ford, which is in these types of cases, you know, no one is ever going to really know what happened in a room or in a hallway or something like that, where these crimes are. These are private crimes that we're talking about, and I'm specifically talking about the sexual assault allegation that you can never really know, right? Like 100% what happened. There's two
1: people in the room, maybe three. Maybe maybe
0: in the Christine Blase Ford case, there was somebody else. um, Or she alleges that. And so you're weighing what you hear and what you're told, and you're weighing what sources tell you and people's memories, and you try to pull together a picture of how somebody experienced a moment and how they talked about it afterwards. Christine Blase Ford's story just stayed the same. And Tara Reid, you know, maybe she is telling the truth and her story this time is true. But last year she said this was a story that was not about sexual misconduct. And this year she says it is about sexual misconduct. And those are distinct stories. And her sources have also changed their story as well.
1: And I think the other distinction that I think about, and again, doesn't negate what either one of them are saying, but but Christine Blasey Ford didn't really come out. She was sort of pushed into the spotlight. She did did say, I have a complaint, but she wasn't going to the media, which again doesn't mean that 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 either of them are wrong. There is a distinction though. Yes. Um, So what do we make of all this, which is the lamest question I can ask you? What what are (laughs) as a reporter, as an editor who's going to be covering who's covered these stories for a long time, is going to be covering these stories for a long time. Are you rethinking your approach to how you report this stuff to how you write about it or is this, I, I don't want to end with a shoulder shrug, but what do you do now? Um Laura Megan. So
0: one thing I was surprised about uh, was the feedback I got on the piece, um which was, Overwhelmingly positive, which in and of itself was just a total shock. As somebody who writes about gender and power, I don't usually get positive emails. Yeah, Yeah, in politics, no one is emailing me thanking me for writing things. Generally speaking, but what I found, if I were to say a theme in a lot of the emails that I got from people was, I was willing to say that there is uncertainty here, and that I am, I am uncertain, and it's a tricky place to be, and that, you know, this is, this. I showed my work. This is what she said then. This is what she said now. This is why I'm stuck. And I was surprised how much that uncertainty actually was reassuring to an audience because people have felt uncertain about this story and they want to know why and they want to know why reporters might be uncertain. And if there's one thing I'm going to take from that is that the audience, if we're uncertain, it's okay to say that to the audience and uh, people respond really well. And uh, there's a there's a desire, I think, in newsrooms sometimes to to be firm and to have a take and to come down on a side or to,
1: this to is be as clear.
0: Yeah, this is the truth. And it's very hard to do. And I think this case was super hard for a variety of reasons that we've just talked about. So I think that that, for me, thinking about media coverage and thinking about cases like this, it's... To what extent can we tolerate uncertainty and trust the audience to, to be okay with that, too? Um, and I've, I think I have a new appreciation for readers, and I think I need to be more comfortable myself.
1: That's very wise. Trust our audience. Um, and I think that applies to Me Too stories in general. And I also, by the way, you know, I just, uh, the last, one of the last things I wrote for Vox.com was a piece about uncertainty in the way we've been covering the pandemic. Yes. And the fact that the facts seem to change, that advice seems to change, that we literally don't know a lot about um, the very basic elements of of the disease and how it spreads. And saying that is okay. Um, And maybe the only thing we can do. And that's different than saying, I've done some sloppy reporting. Who knows? Could be one side, could be the other. Yes. Um, or saying, you know, some people say the earth is round yes. and others say it's flat. What are you going to do? Um, yes. It's a distinction yes. to be saying, no, I've yes. done the work here. Yes. I still don't know what to make of yes. it. There's some questions. So, on that note, anything else we should say other than follow Laura McGann on Twitter, read all this stuff? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I think that's, that's the right ending is to end on uncertainty, unfortunately. But I think that's what it is. I think that's in where, where I times. land. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. wrap
1: it up with a lame cliche I'm certainly glad you came on, Laura how about that it's not even a cliche it's just stupid punnery um, thank you Laura I appreciate your time thanks to you guys oh, for you're listening welcome. Uh, we will have another episode of Recode Media this very week so stay tuned for that we'll see you soon